Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check the Hockey History Podcast, where we talk about cases for the Hockey Hall of Fame. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And today uh, is the first episode in our uh, special series about the Hart Trophy, the NHL's MVP trophy, um, which we are going to spend, we don't know how many episodes on, but a bunch of episodes on, breaking it down, um, both... um, probably focusing more on controversial ones than on obvious ones, but we will get to that as we go. Um, this is an introductory episode in which we're going to talk about the meaning of MVP, and also we are going to talk about some some MVPs before the heart existed. The heart came into existence in 1923-24 season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so uh, we are going to talk about who should have won MVP before that as a sort of introduction to this whole thing. So to start, um, we're going to talk about uh, the meaning of MVP, something that is um, perpetually drives me crazy um, because, and I don't know how you feel about this, Bill, but for me, I always, I, I feel like some years MVP and best player are very much the same person and some years they're totally different. And no, no, none of the big four North American sports leagues has a best player award. Um, unless you want to count the Ted Lindsay, which is voted on by totally different people than the Hurt. Yes. Um, and uh, I think, I don't know why they did that initially, why why the leagues all, like, I don't know the history of, like, MVP prior to, you know, professional sports, like, whether where the concept comes from. But it's interesting now that they still haven't done that. And I think one reason why there's no there's no motivation to create separate best player and MVP awards is because there's nothing that generates like attention for your league or very few things as having a controversial like MVP award. I feel like because you get so much attention over it. That that could be true. And I think it's uh, the, the, the definition of the word is so strange and it, the CFL sort of actually has, I think, the wording right. God forbid I actually say the CFL is doing something right because God knows they, they do a lot of things ass backwards. But um, the CFL has the most outstanding player. Yeah. And to me, that's like, okay, he's the best. Yeah. But is he the most valuable to his team? Not always. You might have a quarterback on an awful team. And, it, you know, for people who follow football, and I happen to follow football quite a bit. So, like Aaron Rodgers in the last few years, the Green Bay Packers would be like a lottery team, that, even though they don't have a lottery. They'd be a bottom five team without him. But he just wills his team to win. You're like, he's clearly the most valuable player in the league. Yeah. He also happens to be in the running for the most outstanding or best player in the league. But I think as in terms of value of like how bad or like how much of a difference does he make for his team? 100%. And I don't know why they just, I think every league should have a, you know, best player award, well, whatever they decide to call it, if it's most outstanding or, you know, and then, and some people claim the NHL has this with the Lester B. Pearson and that, you know, he's, this is voted on by his peers and this is the hockey writers. MVP has just come to mean he's the best player in the league. Like, let's be honest, right? Well, but here's the thing about that. Some years. Yes. And then you have like Taylor Hall, for yeah. example, where they're like, no, it's it, this year. This year, we've just decided that it's it's most valuable player. And you're and like, you know what? To me, that was such a cop out. I think he almost won that because it's like he had an amazing year. 
And yeah, McDavid and Crosby are always great. So let's just give it to the other guy. Yeah. Well, there's... Sorry. Yeah, they randomly apply it, right? So it's like, yeah. well, like, why don't you just have two awards? One of them's clearly for this guy got his team into the playoffs and there's no way they would have made it without him. And then the, okay, well, this guy just like broke every scoring record or made his team miles better than they should be, but they still would have been a good team. It's just he made them elite. Then you can, he could still be most valuable, but mostly you'd say, well, he's just the best player in the league. You know, like McDavid would win it fairly consistently unless it was Crosby or Kucherov. Like there'd only be a handful of guys in the discussion for that award most years. Yeah. Like, you know, in the old days, it would have been, is it, is it Gretzky or Lemieux? Cause we know it's one of the two of them. Like, yeah. no, no one else is even going to qualify for this. They're clearly miles above their competition, but then a most valuable player could be a guy like Iserman when the Red Wings were, eh, and he was just willing them to the playoffs every year. It's like, yeah. So then he gets his due as like, yeah, his team was bad, but man, was he good. And what a difference maker he was like. So I, I feel like having those two awards would make our lives and, reduce the controversy like our lives easier make the controversy be reduced but yeah. like you said maybe that's not what most leagues want maybe they do want people talking about it as much as possible yeah because i certainly like i strongly feel like there should be separate awards i totally agree with you because i feel like there are definitely years where it's the same person yeah. but like like i uh you know in in preparing for this whole series i i've been like looking at all of them and like for example there was one year gretzky won the heart when his team was like a barely a playoff team. Wow. And, and that was his first one. And then he, you know, but he'd like, you know, that was a, like very much a, um, a best player in the league interpretation because like his team, it, his team barely made the playoffs at a time when like two thirds of the NHL barely made the playoffs. So his team wasn't any good at all, yeah. but he, he like, he tied uh, Marcel Dion for the for the Ross that year, and he was like 18 years old, and so yeah. everyone was blown away by him. So they just gave him the heart, but it was like, well, okay, but like, you know, you you uh, everyone's blown away by you, but you know, your team sucks. <laughs> you know, like if you're if you were in a league that had a sensible playoff structure, you wouldn't be in the playoffs. So exactly. you know, yeah. so this is a best this is a best forward award which is fine. But like, if you only have the one award, you only have the MVP, you're going to have instances as we will see as we go through the series where like you vacillate between definitions. So one of the things I wanted to talk about to start is like, what do we mean? And you sort of already got it into a little bit, but like, so like, you know, cause some people really do like almost always consistently interpret the heart as the best player, you know, um, like yeah. last year, for example, with Kucherov, you know, this is like, I mean, you might be able to make a case. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. You might be able to make a case that he was the MVP as well, but he was yeah. the best player in the league, right? Like at least best forward. That's yeah. that's another thing we get into trouble with, with uh, yes. hockey. But, you know, he had 128 points, which was the most points in a season in, what was it? Thir- it was a long time, 20-something years, right? Yeah. 20, I don't know what it was. It might have been um, like mid-90s or something was the last time someone scored that. That sounds about yeah, but yeah. but then again, you you think about how like Tampa just destroyed people last year, and you're like, well, I don't know, the Oilers were trash, and McDavid still scored like 110, so yeah. 18 points off, and you have other than Drysaitel, no help. Yeah, and, like you're playing with you know the, the guy had a good year, but like you're playing with Chiasson, you're like, I don't know that that's the same as playing with Stamkos and Braden Point most yeah. of the time. Yeah, 
you know Absolutely. like so to me that's like a to me there's like the this is this guy is the best player this year like out of the Kucherov the and Kucherov very well could have won it last year I wouldn't have a problem with it but it's like Kucherov McDavid um Crosby etc to me that's like the okay this guy is the best he's head and shoulders above everybody he is very clearly the best at either his position or just the flat out best player in the league whether it be Bobby or Wayne Gretzky Mario Lemieux Steve Eiserman uh Joe Sackick probably had a year like that Forsberg uh, I think Nasland had a year like that. Um, you know, like some of these guys have just had years where it's like, this guy's clearly the best player in the league. Like it's not even yeah. close. That should be sort of that award. And there'll be years where it's debated and people will disagree, but the most valuable player should be like, well, like, like la- last year, if the Oilers had squeaked into the playoffs, I think McDavid wins it hands down. Right. Because yeah. you're like, how, how did they get there without him? They don't. Um, and that's why when you get to like goalies, like Hashik and stuff, winning it, it's like, some people won't give him a heart trophy vote because like, the goalies have an award. And it's like, yeah, but without him, they're like, they're the worst team in the league if he doesn't stop 45 shots. Yeah, so but, he's clearly so, the most valuable to his team. He's not maybe not the most outstanding. In Hashik's case, he was very close, but he's clearly has the most value at his position. But like just to so to sort of push back on the goalie thing. Yeah. I first of all, I think that the goalies sort of have the funny thing about goalies is they don't have a most valuable award. They have a best player award. Yes. Um, and so one of the things I've always wanted, I wanted in the NHL since I was an adult is I wanted a best skater award and a most valuable goalie award, because I think with goalies as well, and we're going to see this too, if we talk about the goalies at all, when we, when we do the heart trophies is that there are years where like there is a goalie who, who is not anywhere near as good as Hasek but who like got their team to the playoffs yes. and, and had not a great year, but the team sucked so badly. And they basically, the, they basically dragged their team to the playoffs yeah. along with them while being mediocre. Like, wow. It's the crazy yeah. thing. And, yeah. and then there's, but then at the same time in the same year, you could have a guy playing for a really good team who has like a Vesna caliber season. Yeah. And and then other years you have it's the same guy, right? It's like yeah. it's Hashik and he's like he's both amazing and dragging his team to the playoffs. But there's years where it's it's not true. Like the best, you know, you'll see years where the goalie with the best save percentage, you know, uh, by a lot sometimes is on a really good team. Um and and maybe they don't make much of a difference in that team's success because, you know, yeah. I, I, I think eventually with the advanced stats that we're really starting to get into now, like some people are really doing some some really deep dive stuff yeah. and they're starting to analyze the high danger chances goalies face and what a difference they make that way. So maybe yeah. one day we are going to get to uh, this goalie actually made the most difference. This yeah. goalie had the highest save percentage because his team was really good at keeping the shots to non-danger areas. Yeah. You know, this well, team so- is the Vancouver Canucks and all their defensemen have been hurt for most of the year. Yeah. They give up high danger chances in bucket loads. And so, like, last year, Markstrom had this incredible year. And, like, Vancouver should have probably finished bottom league. They were, even with Pedersen having a, an amazing rookie year, they were terrible. But Markstrom had this, like, 930 save percentage from Christmas on. And people are like, yeah, 930 is, like, a good goalie. I'm like, you don't understand some of the saves that guy was required to make to have that 930. Well, also, people also like, people are like thinking it's the '90s because 9:30 is pretty good. Oh, 9:30 you know? is incredible, but it, yeah, but it's also 
that's from like mo- like a lot of chances from like the high slot and one time. Yeah, like, yeah. Like it's it's not just how many saves; it's the quality of the saves. Yeah, absolutely. We're just not quite there yet in our statistical analysis, but we're getting there. So I think so, maybe in about ten years they'd be able to do that. Yeah. So one one really primitive version of that is something that I've noted um, when we when we get to the hearts is something called goals saved above average. And it's a calculation as to how many uh, saves the goalie made that actually prevented a goal. And it's, you know, it's really crude compared to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not, um, you know, it's based on on just uh, the limited information of the past, which is nothing to do with where the shot came from at all. Okay. But one of the things that makes it interesting is it really does, you know, some years it will be like this, this guy saved 64 goals more than the average goalie. And you're like, holy shit. Like that, that those translates. Saves that should have been goals, like obviously, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, how many of those were like on like, like you know, um, really like shitty shots from like, you know, the the like near the blue line or something? Yeah. You know that were really easy to save. Who the hell knows? Yeah. But at least there is a thing that says like, okay, this goalie was like particularly, you know. And that and that's it's a calculation the hockey reference does, and I actually don't off the top of my head I don't know how to calculate it, but it's just a neat thing I found where I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, is that, it's a neat way of thinking about it, right? Like like last year Ben Bishop supposedly made thirty two saves that prevented a goal, meaning that he like stopped more likely goals than anyone else in the league last year. And 32 is actually not that high compared to some seasons, but yeah, well, you also have to qualify that by saying Ben Bishop's shoulders made 32 of those saves. Cause he's taller than every other goalie in the yeah, damn league. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no, and, and that stuff matters too. Absolutely. I'm just saying like, you know, I'm, one I'm, of the things I'm, you talk, I'm just, say, I'm just saying that to take like a minor sort of shot at Ben Bishop. I, I watched that game seven last year when St. Louis beat them in that overtime. And he, what was one of the best goalie performances I've ever seen in my life. Like they, like, they had no business being in that game. And it was like, I think he might actually pull this off. He's going to drag this team to the Western conference final. And they finally got one past him. Like, like he was unbelievable in that game. So every once in a while he has a game like that. So I'm just, I was just commenting. A lot of people say he makes saves that most goalies don't, but it's because he's taller. That's why he makes the save yeah. most of the time. But like, that's the thing with what we've talked about so many times on this show with about the NHL, right? Is that we just, unless you go back and you have all this time to watch all this tape, you don't know any of that stuff. If you yeah. just say, look at the stats, right? Like you have oh, no right. idea. And like, so there are years when goalies win an award, like, like the heart or the con Smythe. And you look at like their save percentage and you're like, um, really, <laughs> you yeah. know? And you're or, or my 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 least favorite heart trophy, and I I don't want to spoil it for people, even though I have on a previous episode of the show. But like, where his like goals against average is awful, and you're like, why? And presumably the writers at the time saw something in his performance where you're, they felt compelled. Anyway, um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about is is like different definitions of a valuable, and and um. And best, but specifically valuable. So one, one, one I wanted to throw at you was the idea of most valuable means the best player on the best team. What do you think of that? Do you think that's legitimate? Do you think that's silly? Do you think it's it's something different? I I think it should be. Um, 
if they're going to have a best player award, it should be most outstanding player. Like no matter how good or bad his team is, is this guy at least, you know, obviously there's some subjectivity that goes into it, but objectively you kind of know who the five best players in the league are, right? Yeah. Like everyone's going to name at least your top three should be the same, right? It's going to be McDavid. It's going to be Crosby. And then I don't know who are you saying. Are you going with somebody young or somebody proven, right? But like there's the top two, I think, is like nobody would even debate it. And then maybe well, also like that like, that means if you're talking about forwards particularly, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Typically those awards go to forwards, and like yeah. very rarely does it go to a D-man. Mm-hmm. If it was going to go a defenseman, maybe one of the years Carlson went bonkers, or maybe one of those years that Doughty was offensively incredible and also defensively solid. But, like, maybe John Carlson this year, because he's got, like, 20 points in 10 games or whatever, um, going out of his bloody mind. Apparently, it's the first time a defenseman's led the league since, like, Paul Coffey and Bobby Orr this late in the season. Wow. Uh, yeah, he scored two goals last night. He's just on fire. Um, and he also happens to be a fantastic defenseman as well. But it's like, you know, like, most of the time, you're going to have a top five, I would say almost always the top three will appear in everyone's top five. And then there's going to be the four and five guys will be, you know, one year Malkin's in, one year Malkin's not in, one year Ovechkin. That's who I should have said Ovechkin. So the three best players probably going to be those three guys, right? So it's going to be McDavid, Crosby, Ovechkin. And then you can debate the last two. Are you going to do Stamkos or Kucherov? Are you going to do, uh, you know, some people might think uh, Austin Matthews belongs. Especially if you ask the Toronto media, um, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what I mean? Like there's going to be, let's say, a short list of about 10 guys who are really going to get consideration. But those those top three guys are always going to be in everyone's top five. How do you not put them in, right? Unless they have a particularly stinky year, but they never do. So Or um, injuries in the case or, of Crosby. Or injuries, yeah, as well. Like that's, you know, obviously out of their control, but then it takes them out of the running for that award. But like you would have a very sort of small grouping of players who could be named the let's, you know, to borrow the CFL thing, the MOP, the most outstanding player, AKA the best player. You're looking at a very short ballot list of people who would even get votes. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to most valuable, you're like, okay, well, the Montreal Canadians probably don't make the playoffs unless Carey Price plays 70 games. He's going to get some votes because he's more valuable to his team. Yeah. Then possibly, you know, Crosby's got Malkin, McDavid's got Dreisaitl, even though obviously McDavid's This is this is why I object to the goalie then. But why though? Okay, so any any hockey team that is not scoring like I don't know, 50, 60, 70 goals a season more than their competition, mm-hmm. their most valuable player is their goalie. Yeah, but so it's then like, like why are we talking about it? It's always no, a goalie. No, but see, like last year, a lot of people were saying like, oh, well, um, you know, the Islanders had the, they had the lowest, they went from like highest goals allowed to lowest goals allowed. Oh, well, you know, Grice and, uh, Thomas Grice and Leonard were both MVP candidates. Be like, no, they played a fantastic defensive system. Barry Trotz is the MVP candidate. I know he never stepped on the ice, but clearly he made the difference. Like, so, so like it, I just think the it's a difference between this guy is such a good goalie that his team, even though they were crap and didn't even help him that much, he still was such a difference maker. Like maybe that's a valuable means. You're a difference maker 
on your team to the extent that if you take that guy out of that lineup, that team is 20, 30 points worse. Like maybe, maybe it's even like a, like a war thing, right? Like a wins above replacement. Maybe that's sort of the, like one of the qualifiers you look at as our stats become advanced enough to catch up to baseball stats. How much of a difference do you actually make for your team, right? So we have a very rough version of that with hockey references, point shares, but it's as we've talked about many times, it's very, very rough. Yeah, we're not there. It's not anywhere he, close. Here's the thing, though, about the goalies, is that, like, there is, like, when you say, like, well, no, it's the system or whatever, there, there, you get into these, you know, very subjective arguments, which is fine. My point is that, like, the goalie is, like, it's like a, he's like a pitcher, oh, the opposite of a pitcher in some ways, and in some ways very similar to a pitcher, but, like, or a quarterback, they're a position that has no equivalent. And so they should just have their own damn awards and not be considered for the skater awards because they're just different. You can't, I don't, I strongly believe you can't compare them. And if you're talking about most valuable player for most teams, it's usually the goalie, unless they're outscoring other teams by so much that like, or their goalie is just shit, right? Like if their goalie is like the worst goalie in the league, then they're not the MVP of that team. But like, I just, I just think they're like too, like I hate when like pitchers win the MVP in baseball, for example. Like I just think they're separate. They should just separate them. Just why even like have the conversation? Just keep them separate. But, but see, like I, I remember somebody saying this years ago, and it was like somebody had clearly just been so ridiculously dominant, and they're like, no, I will never vote for a pitcher for MVP. Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, dude, like every once in a while, there's a hashik. A Pedro Martinez, uh, even a Josie Theodore season where you're like, oh, my God, this guy has played so out of his mind that he has clearly made the biggest difference for his team. Even so much as like you could add, you could have added a great forward. And he's so much better than any other goalie or any other pitcher you could have put in that lineup. He's clearly the most valuable to his team, even though, yes, he has his own award. It's just like he's just. Like, it's just what, like, that season Pedro had, like, I think his ERA was, at like, a full run lower than the next closest person in the entire American League. Like, it was just so ridiculous. We're like, I, don't we kind of have to give it to him? Like, it's not even close. He's clearly both the best and most valuable player in his league, even though he plays a very specialized position. It's like, this is just, this needs to be awarded in some way more than just you get the Cy Young. It's like, no. You get like a super Cy Young. You also get the MVP because good Lord, what's wrong with you? How do you do this? Like, I just, I don't know if that happens anywhere near as much as people say it happens. And I, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't bother me that if, if like a pitcher, like not to keep focusing on baseball, but like if a pitcher never got the MVP, pitchers play every five games. They never play. No, but I'm, I'm, that, that's sort of not what I'm saying, but it's almost like, like that season that Pedro won the MVP, you're like, you are so far beyond your competition. We almost have to acknowledge by giving you the award that all, like, I mean, how often has it gone to a pitcher? Not very often, right? Like it's extremely rare in baseball. It's it's, it's actually quite rare in hockey too, that it goes to a goalie. It's like you have been it's like so once a decade, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. So you're like, okay, so like once a decade, you're like, this guy has been so good. We actually was, can't give it to anyone else. But was Theodore really that good the year he won oh, the MVP? Oh, that year? Like, I, trust me, I am not a Josie Theodore fan. I never trust a righty catching goalie. I believe they are just a sieve, like a big mistake waiting to happen. 
I've actually believed that about Theodore. I remember him letting in a terrible goal in the uh, World Championships one year and always being like, man, that guy's just going to let in a bad goal every once in a while. He's that righty-catching goalie. Like, you can name on one hand the great righty-catching goalies of all time. It's really easy to do. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because players are trained to shoot for glove or blocker or whatever, but it just for whatever reason, it just happens. Um, but that year... That Habs team had no business like winning around him. He was out of his mind, and I'm not a fan of his. Like I, I heard he had won the MVP. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Jeff Hackett was a lot better than him when Theodore took over last year, and I was kind of mad about that. And then my God, like he just every, I couldn't even believe most of the saves he made. I'm like, how the hell did he get over there? Like, but so here, so this is exactly so we're getting to sort of, uh, sorry, you alluded to this at the beginning, and getting to sort of my problem with this. Mm-hmm. But it's like. It's that criteria when when people want to apply that criteria, right? It's like yeah. it's like okay, this this year we've just all of a sudden we've all decided that a goalie should win it because this goalie is having a hell of a year or a pitcher in baseball. But then like another year when a goalie does something like that, we don't do it because I don't know. I don't know and like the thing is like I don't I have mean, faith to me, it's in it's almost it's almost like the performance or the statistics just like overwhelm you to the point where like I, I can't see a way that I can't vote for this guy. And that's sort of what I feel. I did Rivera ever win it? I, no, but but a reliever it. has won it. I um Yeah, I can't remember and, who though. And that that I also thought was obscene because of oh, the sheer... I think it was it was it was Eric Gagne, wasn't it? He won the Cy Young. Yes. And which, that was... which a lot of people in baseball, baseball purists would disagree with and say, no, 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 a closer does not affect the game as much as a starter, blah, 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 blah. Doesn't pitch enough innings. So you've got another thing there. Or they have the Rolades Relief Man Award. Why it was Jim Constanty. Who? Jim <laughs> Constanty, the the only na- – oh, no, he was a National League pitcher who won it in 1950. Um, and uh, hold on. Anyway, I just – so, so my 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 main problem with with MVP and 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 awards is is that the the goalposts move all the time, and I agree with that, yes. and like when you're when you're talking about people just like, you know, um, sort of uh, all sort of being overwhelmed by the stats. My problem is is that like if you look at the history of it, I I just don't as I think we'll we'll see as we go through it is that I just don't know. Sometimes people vote really weirdly in ways yeah. that don't make any sense. And yeah. I'm not sure that like just hoping that the consensus gets it right is like enough because they often do weird things. Um, oh, as yeah. as well, our favorite examples are your favorite example with Pavel Burry and my favorite example with Alex Ovechkin of like putting the guys on the wrong like the wrong yeah. all-star team or the wrong <laughs> position on the all-star team. Cause no one seems to know what position they play. I don't have faith in these people is my problem. Uh, and so well, that, that like, I think we're both hundred percent in agreement there that it's like that we've only just started to. And I think it's because of baseball, because I can't remember who it was that went in. Can't remember if it was Tony Gwynn or Greg Maddox or somebody didn't go in with hundred percent of the vote. And yeah. it was like, how much better can you be? Who didn't vote to put him in because he had an axe to grind or he wanted to put in the guy from his own town? And they're like, we need to start publishing these ballots and figure yeah. out who this a-hole is and get rid of him. Because, yeah. like, every once in a while, something is just so egregious that you're like, come on, dude. Like, you know, 
when when it comes up to the Hall of Fame voting, right? Eventually, Patrick Kane's going to get into the Hall of Fame. Would I vote for him? No, I hate his face. I really wouldn't vote for him. Should I lose my vote as a media member because I can't be objective? Absolutely. <laughs> they should can me immediately, but like he clearly can play this shit out of hockey. Just because I want to run him over with a car doesn't make a difference in terms of he was great at hockey. Whatever yeah. he did off the ice, however much I hate him because he always scored goals against Vancouver, should not weigh into it. And if that does weigh into it, you should say, that writer's biased. We are taking away his vote. He's an idiot. And the minute you make them all public, people start voting with, a, is this going to make me look bad? Yeah, not voting for Greg Maddox first ballot. Yeah, it's probably going to make me look pretty bad. I should probably do that. And not vote in, uh, who just got in? Uh, Harold Baines? Yeah, Harold Baines. And even Harold Baines is like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I know I had a good career, but Hall of Fame? Like, okay, I'll- so like, there are there are a bunch of there are a bunch of relievers who have won the MVP. Dennis Eckersley, um, which these things make me crazy. Like somebody I, named I Willie Hernandez. Dennis Eckersley was like at least you could have a conversation about that, right? Because he was beyond dominant. Like it was yeah, ridiculous. but like anyway, we're we're getting into baseball too much. My problem. We are, we are. But well, let's say this maybe that maybe the solution to Maybe the solution to our problem is 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 in the the verbiage, right? So yeah. instead of saying most valuable uh, and most outstanding, if we make that distinction, so we say you're the most valuable to your team, they wouldn't have made the playoffs without you. Like who got their team to the playoffs, even though they don't have much help? Let's have a most outstanding. He's clearly the best player in the league, and sometimes it'll be the same. Yeah. And then you could also have another award that's most dominant in relation to the other guys who play their position, whether it be goalie, defense, winger, or center. How much better were they than the next guy? So, like, you know, Kucherov for a winger just had 128 points. He's like most dominant, yes. And then we'll talk about MOP and MVP. Why not have three awards, name them after three guys, and just say, like, you know, this guy dominated this. And then you still have the... Um, the Art Ross, in case that guy had a lot of help that year and it's like, you know, Stamkos and Kucherov scoring a million points, you're like, well, we can't really pick between them, so whoever gets the points total gets it, but he's probably not going to win the other two. Yeah, I don't... I, I, Unlike some people, I have no problem with having more awards. I think having more awards is actually good. Yeah. Because, like, in, in part, because we can't decide what the awards we have, the voting awards, anyway, yeah, mean, but, right? Like, there's no issue with the Art Ross, but the yeah. heart, it's like, what the hell are we talking about? Yeah, but to, to me, that would actually probably solve the problem is to come up with a most dominant player award. And regardless of position, if you were so far above your competition that it's like, my God, what a season, you win it. So you'd, guess, have, like, you'd have like a goalie nominee, a defense nominee, and a forward nominee. And then I like, I like that idea, actually. Because yeah. like, here's the one of the things that like, that that's, this is all I want is like clarity on like, if we're going to have an MVP award, why are goalies sometimes considered prime candidates and other years not? And I understand that sometimes a consensus arises when yeah. they are, but like it just feels so damn arbitrary to me and completely like, okay, this year, you know what? We've all decided, even though like some forward is having an excellent year, yeah, um, we've decided there's going to be a goalie because like we're all really impressed with this goalie. But then if you look at the stats of that goalie, usually, not always, yeah. but often, they are not actually that great yeah. now there may be some uh, you know i mean i'm not and i'm not talking about hashik 
uh, because the stats are great. Yeah, but like, um, I just wish, like, I wish there was more definition. Like, and I like, I like the idea of a most outstanding player or best player award. And I like also like the idea of like a, a sort of like one award that is put aside that says, you know, this one is going to be for anyone regardless of position. Like, yeah. one of the things that I that we've done in 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 focusing on these different things is we sort of outlined the different um i i'm not i i didn't i didn't because you just came up with this right now I, uh, there's no most dominant possible thing but like focused on like okay who was the best skater by points per game and who was the you know who yeah. was the best skater by point shares which is the closest that hockey reference has to war and stuff like that and sometimes they're the exact same player and then it's really easy yeah but other he- times as we'll see actually uh, later this episode, there are years where you're like, but they're all different players. Every single like possible interpretation is a different, what do I do? And I think that's often, not always, but that's often when a goalie gets it is because people look at the skaters and they're like, well, there's like five guys, none of whom have great cases. they had a good season, but nobody's breaking records. Nobody was like, wow, that's like, what an accomplishment. So you're like, well, Hashik just dragged his team to the playoffs and had like a 940 save percentage. Let's probably give it to him. But he was also, to me, that would have been like, a, he also would have, like, he would easily have won the most dominant award. Yeah. And then he was so dominant that you're, oh, I mean, his nickname's the Dominator for crying out loud. Yeah. You're like, well, maybe you also consider him for the MVP. So I don't know that having a most dominant award would necessarily eliminate what you don't like in that a pitcher can win the MVP. Or that well, uh, I would just, a goalie can win the MVP, but to me it has to be like Hashik, where it's an absolutely historic performance, like it's never been done before, like ridiculous. I just don't think it would be terrible if you were like, you know, this award is for skaters. I don't yeah. think it would be terrible. I think it but, would be fine, you know. And even then, you're getting into arguments then about, you know, I mean, we don't do this anymore, but, but, but for a while, also, right? Like, yeah, like, it's yeah, far, largely. Like, yeah mostly about it's so we're just trying to like eliminate the anomalies but to me it's it's almost like sometimes the athletes so good they don't give you the choice you have to give them a vote even though they're not at the typical position um i just want that to be more obvious than it is because it's not obvious to me no it isn't yeah well we have you know some of the voting history is absolutely ridiculous too right so that, that's the problem to me is like yeah. what seems obvious to one person is not obvious to someone else. And that's why not. And necessarily sometimes things seem very obvious, but as we'll see, um, you know, one of the things we've noted is the voting. And as we'll see in the future episodes, when we talk about the voting, sometimes you will look at like your list of candidates and it'll be like, you know, this player, you know, led the league in points per game, won the Art Ross, was on one of the best teams in the league and came in third in voting. And you're like, what? Yeah, ex- oh, totally. Yeah. Why? And there's yes. no, and nobody knows. Yeah. Um. Anyway, before we get to our uh, our brief um, or our brief or maybe not brief discussion of the the early MVPs, one other thing I wanted to talk about you just hinted at the dragging to the playoffs. Um, yes. Think this feels like a very common interpretation of the MVP award, not necessarily in terms of who wins it every year, though. Obviously, Taylor Hall is a good example, mm-hmm. but like. There are years where um, people make this case a lot, right? Like, I remember this, I think it was this past season, was it McKinnon people were making the case about? Because he had, you know, not quite as many points as Kucherov, but he 
you know, he was on a team that didn't have, he didn't have a lot of support and people make this case. Except of, for that he plays with Miko Ranson and then the two of them are just like lights out together. Yeah, maybe, right? maybe it wasn't McKinnon, but there was somebody this past yeah. year where yeah. the people were making that case again. Oh, yeah. And it's, if people make it every year. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about both in this initial episode and also as we go is how often throughout the history of the NHL, that player is not anywhere near the best player in the league and why I think it's a really problematic interpretation because it sounds like a good idea because it's most valuable. And that's one reason why if we had a best player award and a, and a most valuable player award separately, we might, this might not be a big deal, but like one of the things I've tried to do is pretending that point shares is equivalent to war and it isn't um, because it's, first of all, it's not, it's not, above like you know wars wins above replacement this is just points wins essentially you know it's 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 two points um is a win but still and it's not above replacement there is no they haven't figured out a replacement value at least not for the past i know there are systems in existence right now to like create the hockey version of war but it's for you know the last like 12 years or something it doesn't apply to the distant past but like the really crude version of that is to just take the player with the most point shares um, on a team who would like, if you remove them, they would, their team would miss the playoffs. Yeah. And it's super crude. And I acknowledge it's very flawed, but anyway, best, best I could do. Yeah. And well, if you, it, it's flawed for now as we get to yeah. like the advanced stats, like every, like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I should do a plug, but I, apparently I'm about to, um, if you have a subscription to the athletic, yeah. And you follow your favorite hockey team on that website, they will often have one guy who writes a ton about stats. Yeah. And some of the deep dives they do, you you find out things about players who you just you you do your eye test, right? And you're like, that guy's garbage. He always turns the puck over, or yeah. I don't like his face, and he takes stupid penalties, and then he gets into the stats, and you're like, he's actually really useful if you look at this, and you're like, huh. Yeah. Maybe oh, I and Absolutely. then you see him take another boneheaded penalty, and you're still like, I don't care how useful he is. I want him off my team. And you're still yelling at your TV, but at least you kind of know, statistically, he's apparently useful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you get a different sense of the players. Yeah. and But this is, like, very, very new. And yeah. these guys are, like, diving way deeper than most people do. I mean, you still have hockey GMs who are like, analytics? What? No, I don't do that. That's for the younger generation. You're like, really? Like, it could tell you something. Well, it doesn't some, tell you the whole story, but at least it's information. So some of that information is really new. And yeah. some of it dates, a lot of it dates to about 2007, 2008. Yeah. But the the fact of the matter is that for historically, unless someone's gone and done it and I don't know about it, we just <laughs> don't have the information, um, you know, to, to really give us like the equivalent of war for hockey players prior to, you know, very recently. So... So we just have this very crude method of subtracting. And all I was going to say is if you subtract the guy, if you go by what player I take out minus his point shares from the team, they miss the playoffs. It's it's usually um, not a mediocre player, but like it's often, especially once you get out of the original six, it becomes like a guy who are like, oh, that guy. Okay. And you're just like, I, I've heard that name, and maybe he was an all-star one time, but, you know, it's not, um, 
it, it's just really if if that's how we awarded the heart every year, we would have a very different list of people on it, um, and uh, who have won the, the heart the most. And it would not be, uh, you know, there wouldn't be nine wins from Gretzky. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, there would be <laughs> a lot fewer. from. Yeah. I don't even know off the top of my head if there would, there would be maybe one or two from Gretzky. And it would just change the way we think about players. But I just, all I'm trying to say is I don't think we actually want to do that. Because if we don't have a best player award, then the MVP each year is going to be like this defenseman who like, you know, was good and just yeah. happened to be like really important to this like the thing is you're rewarding good performances on especially in the nhl where too many teams make the playoffs for most of its existence you're rewarding good performances on bad teams i i i 100 agree and if we get into like some of those advanced stats the way they stand now before we get into more advanced metrics there's gonna be a defenseman one year who wins because he blocked 150 shots like yeah just well that's a lot of value according to our metric you'd be like yeah. that's not what we mean like yes he did but i mean i played hockey and i blocked a lot of shots you see me play hockey i'm terrible yeah like, i just i'm in the way <laughs> i have seen you play it's hockey, my yes. number one thing i do i'm in the way i'm yeah, very yeah. good at being in the way when i play hockey yeah. um that does not make me a good defenseman like i can't skate got a mediocre shot just i'm not that good i'm like the murray baron of like defensemen where it's like <laughs> very useful yes but I like, I like the Murray getting Barrett in efforts. everybody's way and making them have to do something harder. Therefore, eventually they'll turn it over to somebody who can take the puck away from them. You know what I so, mean? Like it's we're gonna reward that guy if we don't have the right stats. I think in 20 years from now, the way technology is going, we will have a way of measuring it much, oh, much yeah. better. But right now, like you're just you're just throwing numbers out. Like it just and I mean, numbers. Maybe, maybe someday given crowdsourcing maybe someday people will go back through the past and oh man and go yeah, through all the hiring people to do that yeah going amazing. through all the all of the film of all the games and we might be able to uh, compile um you know information about players of the past and then actually have a really really great appreciation but we don't have that right now it would so, be really easy to do too like i mean obviously gary beckman's gonna be listening to all of these podcasts yeah. because that's how big we are um yeah. You just get a whole bunch of stats interns and pay them like peanuts and have them go through all the old games and calculate all the stats you want to know. Yeah, like, absolutely. okay, you five guys, hey, nerds, you five guys watch this game. You five guys watch this game. We have an army of nerds and we're going to do one season at a time for, you know, how yeah. many it takes you three months to go through an entire season of games if you're working eight hour days. Go nerd away and give us these numbers. And then when you're done, we'll send you out into the real world and not pay you properly. Bye. And the thing is, some of that was actually one of the things I didn't know until recently is some of that was actually done by teams. Like, for example, um, teams kept internal record of shots well before the NHL did. Wow. And, nice. and that data was eventually public, uh, made available publicly. But like for years, it seemed like the NHL didn't start tracking shots until like 81. And but the thing is, like the Canadians, for example, were tracking shots from the early 60s. That might explain why they have 20, 24 Stanley Cups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Is it 23? No, they hit 24. They're waiting for 25. Um, yeah, that might explain why they were winning yeah. so many other Cups when other teams were not paying attention to that. Yeah, and then I don't know. Other teams started doing it later. And, and the yeah. fact is that information is now available on the Internet, but it wasn't for years. Yeah. Anyway, so like stuff like I'm, that uh, happened. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to the day when Vancouver starts doing it. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> so uh 
before we get to our early uh, or pre heart MVPs, one other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, generally speaking, the heart is even though we've talked about how it's it's the most valuable player, it's usually taken as the best player, and so from that we have a list of the best players in the history of the NHL. And so just before we get into the actual trophies, I wanted to just go over what the heart says. Who are the best players in the history of the NHL according to Heart Trophy wins? And that is obviously that is not quite the last hundred years because this is from 1924 to the present. And they are Wayne Wayne Gretzky famously has nine. Gordy Howe has six. Eddie Shore has four. And then there's a five-way tie for fourth, which is uh, the following players have three. Bobby Clark, Mario Lemieux, Howie Morenz, Bobby Orr, and Alex Ovechkin. And then the, the following, I don't know how many players have two. Jean Beliveau, Bill Cowley, Sidney Crosby, Phil Esposito, Dominic Hasek, Bobby Hall, Guy Lafleur, Mark Messier, Stan Mikita, and Nell Stewart. So there are your best players in NHL history. Wow. So, you know, you can immediately quibble with it. Um, because like, you know, I think you and I are mostly on the same page about Bobby Orr. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that he is by this way of ranking players tied for fourth with Bobby Clark. Yes. Uh, seems preposterous. Well, it's because they didn't want to give it to a defenseman. Yeah. Most, most years. Right. I mean, he clearly was the most dominant player in the league. I mean, yeah. he won the scoring title as a defenseman. Like, just so ridiculous, it shouldn't even have been... That, that's a case of where that's the kind of thing that makes me mad, where it's like, now nah, he's a defenseman, we're not going to vote for him. And it's like, I don't care what position he plays. Is he the best player? But like, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Like, And it was it was really funny. I listened to this great show in Montreal, uh, uh, Mel Nick, afternoon. He's been on radio for, like, a good 30, 40 years. And he's just a really, really knowledgeable sports guy. And unlike Toronto, which has sort of a sounds like ESPN Canada, this actually sort of sounds like Montreal. Okay. Uh, and he, he always talks about really interesting stuff. And he they, he was he has two young guys on his show, and he's much older. And so he was talking about the '72 series, and he's like talking about Phil Esposito, and they talked about when he slipped on the uh, the flower petal, and he ends up taking a and it sort of broke the tension and everything. And then he's like, oh yeah, he's like that was Phil Esposito's coming out party is like. This guy is a phenomenal player. He's like, because a lot of people before that thought he's only good because Bobby Orr's there. And I'm like, oh my God, really? Like, I had no idea people thought that way back then. And he's yeah. like, oh yeah, a lot of people in Montreal believe like if it wasn't for Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito wouldn't have all those points. So it's <laughs> like, how good was Bobby Orr that people thought that about a guy as good as Phil Esposito? Was? Yeah, yeah, that's that funny. Having, a guy who had scored 150 points already in a yeah. season. I know, yeah. like it's like, and they still did, didn't believe he was that good because Bobby Orr was so far and far and away clearly the best player. So yeah. it's like, so to me that just speaks volumes of like a lot of people must have just said no, he's a defenseman, I won't vote for him as the best player, or just said, eh, I'm not giving it to him again, like, you know, or I'm voting for the guy from my town, or I'm not voting for a guy from Boston. Like, it, it's really weird how the voting goes in those days, but I mean. He, he played for nine seasons, you know, a couple of them very injury riddled and won eight straight Norrises. I mean, yeah. don't you at that point just say like, okay, so we're just not voting for defensemen or clearly this man is so much better than everybody else that, hey, you got to just keep giving it to him. But we don't do that, right? We like change. 
You won't yeah. always just say Gretzky's the best. He scores, two, you know, 185 points a season for multiple years in a row. It's just heart, 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 heart until Lemieux comes in. And then maybe you start to go, well, they're pretty they're pretty close. Maybe the new guy gets it. But at least there's a discussion. Like, I don't when Bobby Orr is in the league, I don't think there should have been a discussion at any point. Should have been just he just wins the heart. He just like if it's for the best player, it's not even close. Yeah, like, well, we no. will we will get into that in detail, and we will see that it is sometimes very silly uh, <laughs> about who won instead of him. Um, all right, so so uh, lastly, um, uh, did you hear my dog? I did. Yeah, just some nails though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's apparently suddenly decided he's very upset that I'm in here recording. He likes okay. to participate. He thinks he should talk too. Um. Anyway, so before we, uh, so to conclude the episode, we were just going to talk about the MVPs. Um, and, and this this is, you know, at least initially for the first, for the leagues, other than the NHL, it's just, we're just going by best player because you can't figure out valuable. Um, but the MVPs uh, prior to the heart coming into existence. So we're going to start with the NHA, um, which was, of course, the predecessor to the NHL. And... Uh, you know, they, that existed from uh, 1910 to uh, 1917. And and so there were, whatever that means, number of MVPs. The very first one would have been our friend Newsy Lalonde, who we talked about very early on on the show, um, who won, who would have won in 1910 if, it, if there was a Best Player MVP award. Um, and then uh, a guy we've not talked about would have won it in 1911-12, who's Marty Walsh, who... I don't remember why we haven't talked about him, yeah, but I, I suspect it's because he probably didn't play in the NHL or something, probably. or or had a very brief NHL NHA career as well. Or we're but waiting some, for an All Marty episode, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's I. We've got him in our back pocket. Um, and then a guy we talked about recently won would have won three in a row uh, in 1912, 13, 1913, 14, and 1914-15, and and that's. <laughs> That's Tommy Smith. Uh, we talked about him, um, what, a few episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we discovered that he was one of the best players in NHA history without really either of us ever having heard of him. Unlike, um, you know, we've heard of New Zealand alone a lot and Joe Malone, and this guy was just like, who the hell is this guy? So he yeah, would have won three in a row. three seasons in a row where he's first in goals goals per game points per game like he's just he's phenomenal like yeah and there's what there's one year where uh or two years where he wasn't that high in assists when they first introduced assists but the thing is of course uh the assists back then were like really like you know a guy would score like 30 goals and would have like five assists yeah and it wasn't necessarily because they weren't passing it was because they just their criteria for awarding assists was really like specific I, it was like I, I more like, like a basketball assist. Like, it must have been like back in the old days, like uh, almost like a Gretzky assist when he was playing with like Semenko. Be like, could a fire hydrant have scored that goal if uh, yeah. you passed it off him and in, like kind of thing? Like, how it good feels, was the pass? It feels know? that way, or yeah. or it feels like basketball, where it's like the puck had to literally just get to the guy right before he scored yeah. to count or something. Anyway. So he was like not he didn't have great assist numbers in his uh second and third years where he dominated the league, but who the hell knows what that means? And he still led the league in points and points per game. Literally three years in a row, goals, uh goals per game, 
points and points per game. He led the league. So he was clearly the best player in the NHA for like three years straight. So he's an all-time great. And then another guy we talked about way back when we were talking about Newsy, uh, in 1915, 1916, Didier Petra would have uh, won the league probably, uh, the award probably. He was second in goals, but finally they'd sort of calculated assists better, and he was actually first in points and points per game, which was enough for us to declare him the winner. And then finally, for the final season, our friend Frank Nybor, who we talked about a while ago, um, would have won an NHA MVP, even though most of his career was spent in the NHL. So that adds to his uh, Hall of Fame case as well. And then, uh, do you want to do you want to talk about the PCAJ or should I? Sure, absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll do it. Um, yeah. So we go back to 1912. New Zealand alone had switched leagues and uh, moved to the PCAJ. So he was uh, first in goals, goals per game, points, and points per game. 1912-13. Uh, uh, we have a guy named Tommy Dunderdale. Great name. Never heard of him. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing. Amazing name. It really, really is. Uh, based on name alone, he goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame for just having a cool name with yeah. uh, guys like Moose DuPont. Um, <laughs> so uh, first in goals, goals per game, points per game, uh, tied for fifth in assists and sixth for assists per game. Uh, very clearly won the scoring title. Uh, so uh, a pretty worthy candidate. 13-14, uh, our old buddy Cyclone Taylor, and he's going to win three in a row. Um, so first in goals, goals per game. Uh, second in goals and goals per game the next year in 14-15, but first in assists, and it was double second place. Uh, so you're looking at a guy who was absolutely dominant. Uh, and then again, Cyclone Taylor, second in goals and goals per game, but first in assists and assists per game and points and points per game. So another very worthy win. Um, you got a guy named uh, Gordon Roberts, who's first in goals, goals per game, points per game, seventh in assists, think tied for ninth in assists per game, uh, and he was second in points, but first in goals. So a lot of times when you score more goals and you're very close, they end up giving it to you. Then again, we have our buddy Cyclone Taylor for his fourth and fifth. If we're looking at uh, this specific league. He was first in goals by over 33% and goals per game by the same amount, uh, by uh, points by over 25% and points per game by over 25%. Cyclone Taylor's a legend. He's been in the hall forever. There's an entire section of uh, hockey at People's History dedicated to him. We know how great he is. He wins again in 1919, first in goals, goals per game, assists by nearly double, assists per game by nearly double and points and points per game. So, again, just he's so good that basically if he's playing, he's winning it. Um, then we go back to our old buddy, Tommy Dunderdale. <laughs> it's his second. Uh, he's tied for first in goals and goals per game. Uh, he's fourth in assists and assists per game, and he's first in points and points per game. So another worthy win. Uh, then we end up with another guy I've never heard of, Frank Fredrickson. We talked about him. Did we? I don't yeah. remember that one at all. It must must have been quite some time. Well, ago. there's a Frank Foiston as well. We talked about both uh, of them, so I think I, I get them confused. I confuse them all the time, even though they're definitely not the same person. Wow. So it's uh, did we have a double F episode? I don't remember. No, no, we talked about them in different episodes, but like I kept calling one of them the other during one of the episodes. Uh, I kept saying like I don't know. I think I, I called know, this guy Foiston for a couple of years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to forget some of the episodes. Yeah. Um, 
1921, Frank Fredrickson was fourth in goals, second in goals per game, fourth in assists, second in assists per game, but first in points and first in points per game. Yeah, so that, that year was that year was a little like, like controversial. Yeah. Yeah, I was about to say we finally have one where you're, it wasn't a complete slam dunk. Yeah. Um, and then 1921-22, Jack Adams, a uh, very famous hockey name, uh, first in goals by nearly double, uh, and goals per game by nearly double, but eighth in assists at best. Uh, we don't really know, <laughs> and tied for eighth in assists per game at best. So uh, a very heavy goal-scoring year for him, but not necessarily so great in assists. But again, sometimes when you are looking at the MVP, uh, if one guy's scoring a lot more goals, you're sort of like, well, he's the difference maker. Let's give it to him. Well, the other uh, thing is that the assists were just like often yeah. in single digit digits. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's like... Who knows, right? Could be that scorekeeper didn't, wasn't paying yeah. attention. Uh, yeah. Who knows what was going on, right? Yeah, so Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um then in 1922-23, we have Frank Fredrickson again, um, his second one. He's first in goals, goals per game, assists, assists per game, points, points per game. So another worthy win. And then Art Duncan in the final year for the PCHA, tied for first in goals, assists, and assists per game. Uh, second in goals per game and first in points and points per game. So dominates most offensive categories. Uh, it seems like a good win to me. And then even though this is going into the future a little bit, um, we're going to talk briefly about the WCHL um, and, and also who their MVPs were. Uh, first off, in 1921-22, we have Duke Keats, who we talked about way back when in, in the early days of the show. Um, and he had a, a great season where he was well, far and away the best player in the league. He might have been at the time. I don't remember their details about the season. He might have been like basically the only like major pro hockey star in the league at the time, because he was ahead of the next player by 50% point in points. So wow. it's possible that uh, he just, you know, there was no one else good. And then in the next year um, and 22, 23 Art Gagne, um, he wasn't, he didn't lead the league in goals and goals per game, but he led the league in assists and points and assists and points per game. And he was so far ahead in assists again, that it just kind of wasn't close. And then in 1923-24, we have someone we have not yet talked about, but who we will at some point spend a lot of time on uh, some point soon, and that is Bill Cook, um, who would soon be in the uh, NHL and would become basically, because he was in the NHL at like age 29 or 30 or something, would become like the best 30 or one of the best 30-year-old players in the history of the league, but also because he, he would dominate the NHL when he got to the NHL. And he was he just led... Uh, the WCHL in all categories. And then in 1924-25, we have Harry Oliver, um, who also had an NHL career, though nowhere near as good as Bill Cooks. And uh, he led the league in assists and assists per game and points per game and uh, points um, and wasn't as good in goals, but was, you know, you got to give it to the guy who's leading in points, generally speaking, unless there's a huge discrepancy in goals, I think. Um, and then Argonne, who had won in 22-23, also wins in 25-26, um, leading the league in goals and goals per game points and points per game, and you know top five in assists. And then the league fell apart, and uh, teams were bought into the NHL. Um, and then, but they but they tried to persist as like the semi. I don't know if they were like senior or something, PHL. 
And uh, so for the first PHL season, the 1926-27, we gave it to Jack Conley, um, who's a guy who I've never heard of. Um, but <laughs> at this point, this league was basically not not the uh, WCHL anymore because those teams had joined the some of those teams had joined the NHL. Which brings us to um, basically the the uh, six or seven years before. Um, uh, five or six years, I guess, uh, before the NHL awarded the heart officially. So what we wanted to do was talk about um, who would have won the heart prior to existence, if the heart had been in existence prior to, uh, for every season in NHL history. And so to start with, we have the inaugural season, 1917, 1918, and this one is uh, a no-doubter. Um, it's one of the most no-doubt MVPs in the, or hard trophies in the history of the NHL, if it had existed. And that is because Joe Malone scored 48 points in 20-ish games um, with a uh, 2.4 points per game, uh, which has... It lasted as a record until uh I don't know eighty like whatever Gretzky <laughs> to like not not even Gretzky's first season, like Gretzky's like second or third season. Wow. Um now obviously it was a really poor small sample size. But uh yeah. Joe Malone was the best forward in the league and he was playing for the Canadiens, who were the best team in the league. Um there were no playoffs at the time. Uh they, this is the first year of the uh, NHL, so there wasn't like a um, there's no way of determining who would have been like our MVP uh, based on like the stupid thing of like a limit, you know, that I talked about earlier about like not uh, knocking someone out of a team and seeing whether they missed the playoffs or not. That yeah. wasn't possible. Um, but basically, yeah, Joe Malone was best in PPG. He would have won the Art Ross had it existed. He had the most point shares of any skater. Um, he had the most offensive point shares. Um, he just, he was the, and he was on the Canadian, so, uh, you know, um, or the Canadians, whatever we want to call them. And, <laughs> and they were the best uh, offensive team in the league. They were also the best defensive team in the league. So, yeah, Joe Malone really, really deserved it. Um, and, yeah, that's, <laughs> there's nothing else to say about that. He, yeah. he, he deserved it. He was, yeah. uh, he was the best player in the league, and there's no doubt about it. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so the next one is uh, New Zealand alone, uh, his second of three. Um, with oh, no, sure. sorry. That, that's the that's the Canadians' uh, rank in the league. Oh, is it? Okay, so yeah. two out of three. Um, but it's New Zealand alone, center for the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Um, he had a 1.88 point per, points per game, 32 points, 4.6 point share. Uh, the Art Ross was won by New Zealand alone. Uh, the most valuable skater by point share was New Zealand alone. There were no proper playoffs. I believe that was the year they had the Spanish influenza. They're supposed to play against Seattle uh, for the cup. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did not happen due to uh, everybody dying. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. Um, most valuable defensive player by point shares would have been Sprague Clayhorn, who we've, we, uh, Clayhorn, who we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, he had a four point share and 15 points. The most valuable uh, D by defensive point shares would have been uh, Sprague Clayhorn or Eddie Girard, uh, 3.4 point share and 13 points. So there was somebody pretty close to Sprague um, in terms of uh, valuable defensive uh, defensive players. And uh, the most valuable goalie would have been Clint Benedict. Or I 
Have we talked about Clint Benedict? It's a, it rings a bell. No, no. Well, I mean, I definitely know the name. Uh, we yeah. haven't, yeah, we haven't talked about him, but like he's okay, he's, he's a. Him. I mean, his name's going to appear a lot. Yes. Um, and then uh, the best player on the best team was the Senators, which was Frank Nybor, our old buddy. Um, Three point seven point share and twenty eight points. Um, and most valuable uh, skater by point share would have been Sprague Clayhorn. Clayhorn. Um, best player on a best offensive team for the Canadiens, New Zealand alone. And by offensive point share as well, New Zealand alone. And the best player on a best defensive team, uh, the Senators, uh, would have been Sprague Clayhorn. Uh, and by defensive point shares, those two guys that we mentioned before, Clayhorn and Garrard. Um, and by uh, goalie point shares, Clint Benedict. So if we look at it, I mean, you could argue a little bit for Clegghorn, but New Zealand alone, I think, pretty easily wins it. Um, you know, best yeah. offensive player, has great point shares, uh, very clearly, you know, has like an elite points per game. Uh, you know, he's, he's a legendary player. It's pretty hard to take it away from him unless you had actually watched Clegghorn by yourself and insisted that he was the engine for the Senators and you know, so it's a it, it's a pretty big deal. So um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you know he's he's the he's the best skater in the league, yeah. as far as we can tell. And you know he isn't on the best team that year, but like he's still on. A, I mean, it's a small league at this point, yeah. but I mean they're the best offensive team. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next year, 19, 19, 19 20, we're gonna give it to Lalonde again. The Canadians were uh, in, in second again. Um, so, th- so here he had, uh, Lalonde had competition. Um, he actually, he and Joe Malone actually tied, um, for the, uh, for points per game. They're both 2.4 or sorry, 2.04. I'm sorry. That's a very big difference. Um, and Joe Malone would have won the Art Ross had existed and, and set a new record breaking his record of 19, um, 18. The, uh, the difference here is that, um, Malone's team Malone was on the worst team in the league and as much as I was saying I want a best player award I do want a best player award but if we are going to just have the heart I have a really hard time uh giving the the heart to somebody who is on the worst team in the league um regardless and given that New Zealand loaned and him had the exact same points per game it's just New Zealand missed a game I believe it was mm-hmm. um for me I would give it to him. Um, and and just uh, uh, Bill mentioned Clint Benedict. Once again, the most valuable goalie in 1920 is Clint Benedict. I believe he is basically every year for like four or five years in a row. No, it's yeah. like six. Basically every year that we're talking about. Um, uh, he was on the Senators and he was just the most important goalie in the league every year. Uh, in part because of like. I don't remember. They were playing like 20 games or something like that, or maybe 24. He had five shutouts. Wow. In like 24. Look, that's crazy. That's, people yeah. have five shutouts in a regular season now, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's a fair, that's decent. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're playing 24 games. He had five shutouts. And I don't know, how many starts did he have? Oh, yeah, 24. Because, oh, yeah, back then there were no backups, right? Yeah. It was just one guy. Yeah. So, so Bill, you get the the pleasure of dealing with uh, nineteen twenty twenty one. Oh, sweet! Which is uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we, who the hell knows what to do with this year? Yeah. 
So uh, the best player by points per game would have been Joe Malone, 1.85 points per game. The Art Ross would have been New Zealand alone with 43 points and a 1.79 points per game. So again, very, very close. Um, most valuable skater by point shares would have been Newsy. The uh, most valuable skater by point shares factoring in the playoffs would have been Cy Denany, who we have talked about before, yeah. with a, a 6.1 point share and 41 points. Um, the most valuable forward would have been Newsy. The most valuable defenseman would have been George Boucher. The most valuable defenseman would have been Eddie Gerard. Most valuable goalie, again, Clint Benedict. Only two shutouts this time, though, so wow, yeah. what a step back. Yeah, yeah, bad year. Uh, yeah. Best player on the best team, the St. Patrick's by points, would have been Babe Dye with 40 points and a six-point share. The most valuable skater by point shares would have been Harry Cameron, uh, all guys that we've talked about, I believe. Yeah. Um, a 5.8-point share and 27 points. The best player on the best offensive team, the Canadians missed the, Canadians missed the playoffs. My God. Um, New Zealand alone, and again, New Zealand alone, whether by points or offensive point shares. Either way, it's obviously going to be him. He's clearly the best player. Um, best player on the best defensive team, Cy Denany by point shares. Eddie Garrard by uh, defensive point shares. And Clint Benedict by goalie point shares. So the league's two best forwards were on its two worst teams. So, so, what, the, so what the hell do you do, right? Yeah. Like, Because Malone and, and Lund were clearly the best skaters. Um, they were on teams that, that were the two worst teams in the league. And yeah. at this point, there were actual playoffs. And at this point, there were, you know, it's weird too. Like, it's so strange to me that the Canadians scored the most goals this season and missed the playoffs. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, it's, it's just so crazy. So, I, I, like, I have no idea. I mean, I think, you know, you could do the best player on the best team interpretation and you give it to Babe Dye or Harry Cameron. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, you could also yeah. give it to Denny. I guess. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I really, honestly, I have uh, not no opinion on it, but like, I don't know where to go with it. Um, maybe that's the, maybe that's one of those years they just throw it to the goalie and you're well, like, and it just makes you mad, right? Like, you're in, the like notes, in the notes, I actually wrote that. I'm like, maybe it should go to the goalie. Oh my God. I don't want to actually say that, but yeah. maybe it should go to Clint Benedict because they actually made the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, and because uh, we don't know what else to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, I mean, it, the the stupid thing about that though, of course, is he had a better year the year before. Of course, yeah, I know, yeah. But then by every by every standard that existed at the time, which is not that many, right? We're talking yeah. about like record uh, goals, uh, uh, goals against, and uh, shutouts. But still, he had a better year the year before. So it would be it would feel weird to give it to him. That yeah, I've no like that's that's the one year in the entire history of the award where I feel like, well, pre history of the award in this case, where I'm just like, I have no clue. I have no yeah. clue. And if I had been a writer at the time assigned with giving an MVP, I guess I would have picked pay, babe die or, or side identity, but I have no idea. Yeah. Just anyway. So fortunately the next year, 1921, 22 is a uh, slam dunk. It's really simple. Uh, the exact opposite of the year before. And that is that punch Bronbed. Yeah, Punch Broadbent, who was uh, on the Senators, had uh, the best year of his career. We've talked, we talked about him, I believe, at some point. Um, he scored 45 points, and that's 1.88 points per game, and he had 6.2 point shares. And he was the best player by points per game. He was the best player by total points. He was the best player by point shares. He was the MVP 
by uh by that silly method if you if you subtract him from his team his team would have missed the playoffs um wow. he was the best player on the best team the senators so even though you know it was there was a small league at the time so that's yeah, how you that's could true. take six points off the centers and then miss the playoffs but anyway the fact <laughs> is by any of our criteria basically he would have made he was like the only the only uh you know the only thing you could say is well uh Clint Benedict once again uh was important however he once again didn't have as good a year as 1920 um and yeah, I just don't think there's a challenge uh, this year. I think it's punch broadbent any way you look at it. It's one of these like ob- like just seems really really obvious to me. Um, do you have any pushback on that? None whatsoever. No, it's very. He's very clearly the best player. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we have one last one, one pr- last preheart. You get the tough ones. Yeah, it seems like it, eh? Um, yeah. All right, so uh, we have put George Boucher, but it seems like it's very open to interpretation. Um, the best player by points per game was Babe Die with a 1.82 points per game, 40 points, and six point share. The Art Ross was won by Babe Die. Uh, the uh, most valuable skater by point shares was uh, George Boucher with six, a 6.5 point share. Uh, and 25 points. That's pretty close to the uh, Babe Die six point share. Um, the most valuable skater by point share factoring in the playoffs was George Boucher. The most valuable forward was Babe Die. The most valuable forward by point shares, offensive point shares, both are Babe Die. Um, the most valuable defenseman by defensive point shares was Sprague Clayhorn, Clayhorn, and then Billy Kutsu. Um, with uh, a 5.5 and a 3.8, respectively. Uh, the most valuable goalie, I don't even need to say his name. We all know who it was. <laughs> and this time he had a hell of a year again. Yeah, oh yeah, he had a great year. 6.2 point shares, uh, 2.18 goals, uh, another four, uh, 2.18 goals against average, another four shutouts. Um, so again, Mr. Clint Benedict uh, of the Eggs, I believe. Um, the best player on the best team, uh, Cy Denony had 33 points and a 5.4 point share and the most valuable skater by point shares was George Boucher again on the best team right so makes a big difference uh, the best player on the best offensive team which was the St. Patrick's but they missed the playoffs was Babe Die and Babe Die um, so basically his team missed the playoffs but he was outstanding uh, the best player on the best uh, defensive team was George Boucher by point shares and by defensive point shares George Boucher, then King Clancy, then Harry Hellman. Um, and by, uh, obviously, goalie point shares, obviously, Clint Bennett. Um, so, I don't know. Like, it's it's a pretty tough one. If the Senators make the playoffs and Boucher is their best defensive player and they're the best defensive team, and that's how they win. Remember, this is not now. The Senators are actually very good back then. Uh, <laughs> So if we know that point shares are flawed, point shares in 1923 are worthless, I guess it should go to die because we actually know he did score those points. But his team missed the playoffs. The St. Patrick's were terrible, and he was probably their only redeeming player. So, like, if he had that, if he led the league and his team still missed the playoffs, how bad were the rest of those bums? Um, The Senators clearly were the best defensive team, but, you know, is is this guy Ken Danico on a very good defensive system team? Well, oh, this is George Boucher. Come on. Yeah. 
Um, this is one of the best defensemen of his era. Uh, I, I mean, I base that only on like Wikipedia and point shares, but still. <laughs> hey, don't you dare speak ill of Ten Ken Danico. He was awesome. Um, I have I have a certain bent for those kind of defensemen. Yeah. But that's the thing we don't really know, right? Concretely, we know Babe Die scored those points or at least those goals. Um, and I mean, George Boucher did have twenty five points. Yeah, see, that's it. He's not that far off. So I get your argument that it should be George Boucher. Um, I think based on the fact that Babe Guy's team was terrible and he couldn't drag, I guess if he had dragged him to the playoffs, it'd be a slam dunk, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. If, 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 if then maybe we we have to say that that's the year we give it to George Boucher, or maybe that's the year we finally give it to Clint Benedict because we don't know what else to do. But yeah, that, that's, I, I, I think George Boucher is worthy. But I think it's not nearly the slam dunk that some of the other ones that we have. No, right? not at all. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think if Babe Dye makes the playoffs, St. Patrick's make the playoffs, he wins the award. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I agree with you too. And like, as much as I don't want to give it to a goalie, I think Clem Benedict is also a good um, candidate because, you know, I mean, the thing about giving it to uh, Sidenity is, is like the strength of the best team in the league was defense. Yep. Right, so you don't really want to give it to the best forward on the best defensive team. Exactly, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So, I... so provided we do decide it's George Boucher, this is how this is the these are the heart standings pre pre actual heart, which is that New Zealand alone probably deserves two, though that one of them is more questionable than the other. Mm-hmm. Joe Malone deserves at least one, and there's. Two others where he's like in contention, but of course he didn't make the playoffs either time, so who the hell knows? Punch Bronbed absolutely deserves one, and George Boucher maybe does. And then we have that one year where like it could be Joe Malone, it could be Newsy, it could be, of course they both missed the playoffs. It could be uh, Babe Die. Who the hell knows? Could be me. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so those are our uh, our uh, pre heart heart winners, and uh, in the next episode we are going to talk about the early days of the heart from its uh, debut in 1924 through to uh, the forties when the league contracted down to six teams. Um, so it's slightly less, I think it's like 19 seasons or something like that. Yeah. 18 or 19 seasons. Um, and I promise there will be uh, some really, really, well, I don't know about you, Bill, but there are some hard awards in that stretch that make me really <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if angry is the right word. Maybe uh, puzzled. Confused, yes. Confused uh, is yes, present. Yes. Yeah. Which is fine, yes. Bamboozled. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, so I hope that you will turn in to listen to us. Tune in, rather. Turn in. Don't turn in. Tune in. Um, to listen to us uh, discuss and possibly complain about uh, the heart trophies. Because the first one I can tell you already, the 1924 one drives me crazy. Um, It'll be great. Yeah. So, yeah. So hopefully you will tune in for that and uh, we will see you then. Have a good one.